0: And you can get an extra three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash slash film.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, January 22nd, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the 2019 Academy Award nominations, which took place this morning. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata. And joining me on to podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor, Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Writer, Shwai Bui.
2: Hey,
3: everyone
1: and chris evangelista
4: hello
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: i love that we're getting a different uh sign on from you every single day how, how many days of 2019 do you think that you'll be able to keep this up
4: i'll probably give it up soon i'm already
1: you're already over working. it um, yeah <laughs> um you guys woke up very early this morning to you know huddle in the virtual slash film uh newsroom to cover the oscar nominations when when did those hit this morning uh 5
5: a.m pacific time <laughs> wow.
3: only eight twenty two eastern time so i was already up but um yeah it was bright and early for the rest of the country
1: yeah um we have a whole listing of all the nominations on the site. Thanks to you guys. Uh, and so if you want to read all the nominations, you can go there. I will link that in the show notes. But um, I want to go through the major categories for us. Let's go through the major categories and talk about like uh, some su- surprises. Actually, does anybody have best picture uh, category in front of them that they could read what the best pictures are? I do. Yes. Jacob, uh, could you uh, tell us what was nominated for best picture? Uh, Black Panther, Black Clansman, Bohemian Rhapsody,
5: The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star Is Born, and Vice. So, what what are the surprises here? One surprise surprises here is Black Panther, and I, I feel like in one way it's not a surprise because it's spent in the past you know couple of months getting nominated at all kinds of different awards, all kinds of different guilds, nominating Black Panther. I think people were still kind of expecting it to get shut out at the Oscars because this is, you know, 10 years ago, The um, as we'll discuss in a little bit, The Dark Knight, you know, was not nominated for Best Picture and set off this whole chain reaction of when will a superhero movie ever get nominated for Best Picture? Will it ever happen? Will it ever happen? And everyone thought that um, a Marvel Studios movie was not going to break that mold, and here we are. It, it actually did it. And I, I think a lot of people are going to – I think the big debate going forward will be, is a Black Panther nomination more about the movie or more about the, the moment, the, the cultural, you know, yeah. um, shift that it represents? And either way, I think it belongs here. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I'm still pleasantly surprised that a a Marvel movie, albeit one that is incredibly smart and rich and textured in its storytelling character, is here. And that's that's very cool.
1: And, Chris, you wrote this uh, feature on the site basically going chronicling the last 10 years, uh, you know, talking about the Dark Knights. You know, can you give that a uh, plug?
4: uh i sure can so yeah i think everyone at this point knows that uh, 10 years ago 2008 really um everyone sort of assumed the dark knight was going to get a best picture nomination because it was at the time one of the best reviewed comic book movies it was a serious film everyone thought oh this is it this is going to break through you know and become that first uh, comic book slash superhero movie nominee for Best Picture, and it wasn't. It got uh, eight nominations. One of those was, of course, Heath Ledger, who won uh, posthumously for his work as the Joker, but that still wasn't good enough for a lot of people, and there was a kind of backlash, and the the Academy actually took that to heart, and the next year...
1: <laughs> yeah, but takes... This caused a lot of trouble in the coming years. Like I feel like it was probably more bad than good.
4: I I don't want to speculate that far, but I know that, you know, the next year the Academy bumped their nominations up from five to 10. And the, at the time, the Academy president even said, you know, he said the the quote is something like, I'd be lying if I said the dark Knight didn't play a decision in this. So, but even with that in mind, it still took another 10 years before any uh, comic book movie ended up with a
1: best picture nomination. And here we are with black Panther. Yeah, it took a while. HT, what got snubbed in this category?
3: Well, I think the biggest snub that we can say here is If Beale Street Could Talk, directed by Barry Jenkins, who won two years ago um, for Moonlight. Uh for Best Picture, rather. And uh, he was also snubbed in the Best Director category as well. Um, But this was a film that was critically acclaimed. Uh, People expected it to be in the contention for um, Best Picture, but it ended up not getting um, very many nominations. I think it got, uh, received only three nominations total for this film, uh, including uh, Best Supporting Actress for Regina King, and um, a Best Adapted Screenplay.
1: And I, knew, I know you guys didn't have this on your list, but if I was totally awake at this time, I would have put Spider-verse into, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse here. Not that I anybody thought that it was going to get nominated for Best Picture. Like, I, I don't think even the filmmaker... I don't think anybody was disillusioned in that standpoint, but I really feel like with this many nominations, that that film should be recognized.
3: Yeah, actually, yeah. the one thing I want to say that you kind of suggested when talking about the backlash to Dark Knight and the expanding of the categories, uh, one thing that irks me in the years since is that it never is the same amount of Best Picture nominations. It's sometimes 10. This year it was only 8. Um, so I feel like they could have just, they just, just keep it at 10 and include films like Into the Spider-Verse or If Feel Street Could Talk.
5: Yeah. I strongly feel that if Sony had had known uh, that Spider-Verse would get the reaction that did, if they were aware that it was going to be that tremendous of a reaction from, you know, regular folks and critics, I think they would have launched a campaign or have gotten you know, multiple and sound score, even even writing possibly. But I, don't think, I think Sony learned too little too late what they had in their hands.
1: Let's talk about uh, some of the acting categories. Let's start with best actor. Uh, Ichi, what what is the surprise here?
3: Uh, so a big surprise, a pleasant surprise rather, is Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate. So this was a performance that was breathtaking for the people who saw it. And he definitely carried this film, which is a little slight um, as the uh, portraying the legendary Vincent van Gogh in his final years. And this film, I think, is really gorgeous, but it kind of um, lost a lot of buzz after its release in September. And um, while Willem Dafoe was great in it, he didn't have quite the momentum that other uh, uh, Best Actor candidates had. But um, he is great in it, so this was a nice surprise. And it's also his a back-to-back nomination for him because he was nominated last year for Best Supporting Actor in the Florida Project.
1: That is a surprise, um, Chris. Who was snubbed here?
4: Uh, Ethan Hawke was snubbed, in my opinion. Um, I, I pretty much saw the writing on the wall at this point because he wasn't getting as much love in the awards leading up to the Oscars either, which really surprised me. But I kept, I kept holding out hope because I honestly think this is the best performance he's ever given, and I don't. I'm not saying that lightly because I think he's given a lot of really good performances. He's almost always you know, a hundred percent in there. He doesn't like, he doesn't, he never phones a performance in, but this was like, it felt like the culmination of all of his work so far. And it felt like this was it. This was finally his moment to at least get the nomination. And he didn't. And I, I don't, I don't really get it. I guess the movie is just too dark and too, you know, even though it got that best screenplay nomination, I just think it, it's too challenging and too weird for uh, most voters.
5: It's interesting. Uh, Mark Harris on Twitter was talking about how these the the, ra- the range of nominees here, ranging from like really bold, surprising choices to like the most mundane choices possible at like Green Book, represent the, like, the a very clear split between all the new members who have been added in the past few years and the old guard in a way that it's very clearly illustrative now it, that the Academy is split into two different camps.
3: So speaking of uh, sort of the camps divided in the the um, Academy, I feel like both camps probably overlooked Hugh Grant's performance in Paddington 2, <laughs> uh, which because it was in a family film, but in not only one of the best family films of last year, but one of the best films of last year. Um, so Hugh Grant gave a just hysterical vanity-free performance in Paddington 2 that I feel like was so of overlooked in the awards uh, discussions, despite him earning uh, a BAFTA nomination and even winning the London Film and Critics um, Circle Awards, but I feel that uh, goodwill towards his performance didn't seem to uh, to uh, come survive the trip across the Atlantic, and uh, he has earned nothing. And plus, Paddington Two came came out early. Um, in 2018. So it might have gotten forgotten during the awards discussions. And um, another one that was pro- was definitely overlooked was Brian Tyree Henry, who actually earned buzz for not one, but two performances in uh, critically acclaimed films this year. Uh, first in Widows as a crime boss, and then in Beale Street* in If Beale Street Could Talk as a sort of cheery ex-con. Both of them, he had sort of minimal screen time, but he left such an impact that uh, fans and critics alike were calling for him to earn a best supporting actor nod for either film
1: um let's let's talk about uh actresses actually i'm a little confused here because the queen from the favorite was nominated for best actress but uh wasted stone were normally nominated for supporting
5: yeah it's actually a very it's one of those tactics you see very often where there's a ensemble cast and Even though technically people are leads, they strategically nominate themselves for supporting this. I mean, if all three had nominated themselves for Best Actress, you know, maybe one of them would have gotten in. But this way, all three of the favorite leads got nominated. It's very it's it's a little it's sly and probably not ethical, but it's you start to see it more and more often these days.
3: But all three deserve it, so I'm not too upset about it, even if yeah. the categorization is a little bit wonky.
1: Um, let's talk about uh, what is the biggest surprise in like the act, like the the female acting categories. Chris,
4: uh, all right, I'm I'm going to get shit for this because I'm going to mispronounce their names, because I and I apologize terribly because I'm a dumb American. <laughs> but Yolita Aprizio from Roma, and also. Uh, Marina Di Tavira from Roma. And again, I sincerely apologize if I mispronounce both those names, but they're both phenomenal in Roma, especially the lead. And this was literally her first acting role ever. And but even though they're both really good, I just sort of assumed they wouldn't get it, they would just be overlooked. Maybe because you know their their performances aren't in English, and maybe you know I just maybe assumed the academy would just overlook them, but they didn't, and I'm I'm really thrilled about that. I'm I'm thrilled they both got that nomination because they're both so good in the film. A few choices
5: I think a few months ago maybe we would have expected to get nominated here. Like I think the best performance of last year overall was Tony Collette in Hereditary, and a lot of people, including some Oscar prognosticators, were saying she could be a dark horse in the best actress uh, category, uh, but. She, she's not here. And uh, in on in one level, it's not the biggest surprise in the world, but I think a lot of people thought that uh, people loved Tony Collette. Uh, people thought the A24 would have a better year than they did at the Oscars. Uh, but she's not here. Uh, also, the Cole Kidman for Destroyer, that entire movie's marketing campaign, all of its buzz, all of it, everything, the movie was built around the Cole Kidman's performance and built around, you know, come see her give the performance of her lifetime, performance of her career. It's an incredible performance, uh, but Destroyer just never got the buzz. Necessary to really push it over the top. So Nicole Kidman was also left out here. But the biggest uh, snub here is probably Emily Blunt, who had a dual shot at maybe getting nominated for A Quiet Place or getting nominated for Mary Poppins Returns. And she got nominated for neither of them. And there was only only a little bit of love for both those films. And (laughs) I think that people just thought that, you know, that in the year of Emily Blunt, if we made a list of the people who had the greatest 2018. I think Emily Blunt would be in the top three, maybe even number one, because of the amount of success she had with *Mary Poppins Returns* and *A Quiet Place*. And does not see you get nominated for either of them in a year that I feel was like the year of the Blunt.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, I feel like, feels very very strange. It, 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 it was definitely here. a Blunt year, Jacob.
5: <laughs>
1: you know, we should move on to director. Uh, Jacob, do you have the list of directors nominated this year in front of you? I
5: do. In, I do indeed. Uh, best director: Spike Lee, Black Klansman. Uh, uh, par- I pardon me, Polish listeners. Pawel Polakowski, Cold War. Yorgos Lanthimos, The Favorite. Afonso Quaron, Roma, and Adam McKay, Vice. Uh,
4: I'm very surprised Ryan Coogler did not get a nomination for Black Panther. I- I'm almost always surprised when a film gets a best picture nom, but not a best director nomination, because even though, you know, films are the result of it's a team effort, but the director is, you know, the person who's the head of that team. They're, they're, you know, pushing everything forward. And it's always weird to me when this happens, where it's like, yeah, that film was great, but let's not, you know, (laughs) let's not mention the director. So I'm just, I'm a little surprised that if they were going to go all out and nominate black Panther, why not nominate Ryan Coogler too? Because in Ryan Kugler, in his very short career, has already proven he's he's the real deal. He's he's only made three films so far, but you know uh, they're yeah. <laughs> they've all been like
1: critical raves. So I, I am a little surprised that he didn't get a nomination. Yeah, and on, on that topic, I always felt it was weird that the producers received the best uh, picture awards and not the the, the filmmaker. Um, I, I know that's how it's always been, but like. I don't know. It, it, it just seems – I don't know. I don't, I don't want
4: to take anything away from like, – yeah. I guess in theory it's like without them the movie wouldn't exist because they paid for it. But yeah, I always felt that was weird too.
3: I wonder if it's remnant of the, the Hollywood classic studio system in which directors were more workhouses, workhorses than um, the producers.
1: Yeah. Um. What else in the Best Director? Like uh, J- Jacob, I know you were talking about uh Bradley Cooper.
5: Yeah, uh, I think Bradley Cooper is as glaring as Black Panther uh, and, and Ryan Coogler because you know Starsborn has been like one of the frontrunner favorites for since the middle of last year, and the Academy traditionally loves actors turn directors. Like they give Robert Redford and Kevin Costner and all these people like tons of awards. The moment an actor says, "I want to direct." And A Star Is Born is also a good movie. It's a well-directed movie for the most part. So him not being here, even though A Star is Born got eight nominations, is very strange. It's not like they snubbed Bradley Cooper. He's nominated for Best Actor, he's nominated for his work on the screenplay, and he's a producer, so he's, so he's nominated for Best Picture. Uh, so he is doing quite well. He has a reason to celebrate today. But Bradley Cooper not being here is very strange, uh, especially since you know this is one of the frontrunners, one of the big movies, and... I think that there, I think there are directors on this list who shouldn't be here, and Bradley Cooper should be. But, <laughs> uh, but you know what? I, I, I guess I'm just, I am just shocked that the Academy did not see an opportunity to nominate an actor for directing because it's happened so often.
1: Yeah, Th- this is probably one of the biggest snubs for me. Like I, not, I didn't even love that movie, but like his, as his directorial debut, like it was just so impressive. Um, but at least, at least Peter Farley was not nominated in his place, right, Chris?
4: Yes, this is technically a snub, but it's a snub I'm okay with. Um, yeah, Peter Farley or Farelli, however, it's pronounced. Uh, he directed Green Book, and Green Book has been having quite an award season where it's racking up awards, even though. Uh, the residents of Film Twitter seem to be outraged at this. And so it it sort of seemed like a given that he was going to get this best director nomination, but he didn't. And I don't know if that's because that article came out that revealed in the past, he uh, would expose himself as a quote unquote joke, but uh, maybe that played a part. And yet at the same time, the screenwriter got into a lot of hot water too for his comments, but he got nominated. So I don't really know how this happened, but I'm okay with it.
3: Yeah, so director Pavel (laughs) Pawlikowski earned a surprising Best Director nod, um, which uh, is unusual because the Best Director category doesn't usually contain two foreign film directors. And here we have... uh, (sighs) Lachowski, as well as Alfonso Caron. And this is a film that flew under a lot of people's radar, even people who are uh, major cinephiles, because it's, you know, it's a black and white uh, romance, period drama, and not a lot of people have seen it. But the people who have have raved about it, Um, but it hasn't earned any sort of buzz in any case. And yet here it is in one of the top five categories with uh, the director earning that coveted best director nod.
1: Yeah, I'm really shocked by this because I feel like this was not in the buzz at all leading up to this awards. Like, I didn't even, this wasn't even on my like watch list for you know before I was, you know, making my top ten of the year. I did, I just didn't. This wasn't even on my radar. Um, has anybody here seen that film? Nope.
4: No, yeah, I, I, I want to because I've heard nothing but good yeah. things about it, but I just
1: have not had the time. And, and to guilt, give you an I'm idea <laughs> yeah, and to give you an idea, Chris has seen almost four hundred films from last year and has not seen this film, so that just goes to show you uh how much of a surprise that is, but a big snub uh this year in in directing category is there's no female. Best Director nominees.
3: Yeah, so um, if you heard Jacob's rundown of the Best Director category earlier, you may notice that there are no female directors nominated. And while people may argue that female filmmakers, filmmakers are not doing uh, any awards-worthy look, uh, work, I beg you to reconsider, because I think that this year has um, had some of the most... Uh, Visibility for female directors doing great work in the indie and film festival circuit. You have Lynn Ramsey with the thriller You're Never Really Here, Deborah Granick for Leave No Trace, and Marielle Heller for Can You Ever Forgive Me, which also earned three Oscar nominations for act. Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Screenplay. And yet, she did not earn a Best Director nomination when she could have feasibly gotten that fifth slot. Um, there are plenty of others, too. Chloe Zhao for the writer, which was um, critically acclaimed and was named the Best the year's best film by the National Society of Film Critics and the Gotham Film Awards. Uh, Josie Rourke, who's Mary Queen of Scots, also earned two Oscar nods. Tamara Jenkins for *Private Life*, Karen Fusama for *Destroyer*, Mimi Letter for *On the Basis of Sex*. There's so many. Wow, this I'm sounds a like a long work.
1: list, H D. Like, yeah, <laughs> long list of ignored. Um, you know, at my critic circle, the Los Angeles Online Film Critics uh, Circle, we. Do we do like instead of best director, we do best male director and best female director, which we kind of got a lot of flack last year when we introduced that. But I actually and I was actually not sure how I felt about it back then. But uh, I actually now kind of love that because I I feel like, you know, yes, in a best world, there should just be one category. Actually, in the best world, there shouldn't even be best actress, best actor. I think, but we're not living in that best world. <laughs> we have Trump as president. Um, I don't know. I, I, I like, I almost wish we, instead of, you know, the Academy considering best popular film as a category, they might consider, you know, breaking up best male director and best female director so that, you know, something needs to be done to get the recognition and to start turning the tide in my opinion. What do you think of that?
3: I also have mixed feelings about dividing that category because I do think that if people just looked harder and actually were able to see that female filmmakers are doing great work, that this category would be more evenly balanced. But um, Greta Gerwig was nominated last year and there have only been five women nominated in total at the Oscars, so maybe um, it would be worth it at this point just to jump start things or you know just throw out all the old guard and have everyone everyone uh new just take over the academy
1: <laughs> get rid of all the old people i i, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen um <laughs> but you can read uh HT's entire write up of this uh it's titled uh more female directors were worthy of a best picture nod than ever but got shut out of the oscars um, i will put the link in the show notes um, moving away from the, the, the major like four categories, let's talk about other uh, snubs.
3: Here's a fun fact for you. Suicide Squad has more Oscars than the entire country of South Korea. South Korea has zero Oscar uh, nominations, and it seemed like this year would be the turning point for that after uh, Lee Chang-dong's burning started to gain um, buzz in the uh, film festival circuit again and was getting momentum to be South Korea's first foreign language film uh nomination it was the first korean film to make it onto the oscar shortlist for foreign language film and uh yet it has been shut out uh, despite a great chilling performance by supporting actor steven yun who's also asian-american and was supposed to be kind of the, the extra boost for this film but uh Burning is uh, is not in this category, unfortunately.
1: And another shutout, First Man. I know this is a uh, a film that both uh, Brad and Jacob, I think, were big fans of. Is completely shut out of the major categories?
5: Uh, yeah, if you told me a year ago this would happen, I wouldn't have believed you. Because I think that Dam- Damien Ch- Academy Award winner Damien Chazelle coming off La La Land, making a Neil Armstrong biopic starring Ryan Gosling, sounds like a recipe for Best Picture. Uh, and starring, co-starring Claire Foy, but you know, no director nomination, no picture nomination, no acting nominations, has visual effects, production design, and a few other technical awards uh, nominated for. But it has just been completely left out of the Oscar race. I think people, this movie was not what people thought it was going to be. It's a far quieter, more meditative movie than your typical you know, spacefaring biopic. And it's never really struck the chord it needed to. It was, I think reaction is a little too mixed. I love this movie. I think Time's going to be very kind to it but seeing it not nominated for anything is deeply strange after I spent pretty much most of last year thinking it would be a Star Wars Born versus First Man showdown at the Oscars.
1: Yeah, and uh, we did uh, talk a little bit about Cold War. This is kind of a big surprise. It wasn't just nominated for Best Director, but it also got a bunch of other nominations. Chris, what is going on here?
4: Uh, Yeah, it it got a nomination for... uh... Best cinematography, which I don't, I don't think is that much of a surprise. It's because the Academy really likes things that are in black and white. It's like, it's like they see that and they're like, oh my god, what is this? Something in black and white.
2: So, <laughs> uh, so call, I think that's more. what. Cold War also got a nomination from the American Society of Cinematographers.
1: It, 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 yeah. it reminds the old Academy of voters of their childhood uh, filmmaking uh, or film-going yeah, it's, experiences.
2: Back in the day
4: of the talkies when they went to the Nickelodeon. But but Cold War also looks, I mean, from what I've seen based on the trailer, it looks gorgeous. So I don't think that's too big of a surprise. I think the biggest surprise is never look away which is a german film and all of us when these nominations were being announced we're like what the hell just never look away because i've honestly never heard of this film or if i did hear of it 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 slipped my mind completely and yeah so never look away like i said it's a german film it got a
1: best cinematography nod so good for you never look away (laughs) let's talk about best makeup uh there's a couple surprises here jacob i know you wrote about all of them on the site. Um, you were a big fan of Border, and yeah. uh, this was snubbed?
5: Oh, no, uh, Border was actually nominated. For oh, it was nominated, makeup. sorry. Yeah, and it's, it's like, i the fact that I'm imagining all these soggy old Academy members watching Border, <laughs> it, it uh, makes me happy. It's a yeah. it, its a supernatural romance. Uh, it's very, very, very good, and it features some very, very impressive subtle makeup that lets the actors who are playing, let's say, non-humans in the movie really emote and have performances, and... The fact, that it made in makeup, you know, against you know lots of major Hollywood movies that went up for this award is very cool and very impressive. And even with a single nomination, I hope it encourages people to put Border on their radar. But the snub here, I guess maybe it's not too surprising since the movie was not necessarily a box office darling. But Suspiria didn't get a makeup nomination despite making the final round of uh, finalists. And this is a movie where, uh, in addition to all kinds of gnarly practical effects. The uh, makeup lets Tilla Swinton play three characters. She plays a bloated ancient evil witch, and she plays an 80-something-year-old man. And and they're both incredibly convincing makeup effects, and it's really, really excellent stuff. I think maybe the fact that superior is a horror movie, and so much of the movie is grisly, and it is slow, and it is odd and weird, may have thrown off some more traditional Academy voters because I think that in terms of pure technique, it may be the most impressive makeup I saw
1: last year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to... Make sense of this because I mean, Border is a horror film, right?
5: That's horror elements. say it's more fantasy than horror, fantasy. but it, it it is it is a deeply weird movie. So it's the fact that it got nominated and in Spirit did is is definitely odd.
3: Speaking of um dark and odd movies, First Formed was like Chris said, very challenging and very out of the box for what. Uh, the academy usually considers, and yet Paul Schrader was nominated for his first reform screenplay. So this uh, was a pleasant surprise because um, no one really expected First Reform to become an awards darling, but it is possible because Paul Schrader is the legendary screenwriter behind Martin Scorsese's classics like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. That he kind of has that legacy behind him, and the academy was just like, who can we nominate for best original screenplay? Oh, there's Paul Schrader. <laughs> I don't know what that movie is about, but let's do it.
1: You know, we are going long on this podcast. So I want to talk about a couple more of these snubs. Uh, I, I think, like, the biggest in my mind is I'm really surprised that Won't You Be My Neighbor was shut out of Best Documentary. Jacob, can you talk about that?
5: Yeah, this is, this is odd because Won't You Be My Neighbor, it's, people love this movie. It has great reviews. It played at Sundance The rave, rave responses and T to play throughout all of last year. It started to sort of... Um, mini mr rogers like renaissance and people talking mr rogers again and it made 22 million dollars at the box office which is huge for a documentary and up until you know a month ago i would have said this movie would win and the director morgan neville he's an oscar owner his previous film um uh 20 feet from stardom won the best documentary oscar in 2014. so it has, it has oscar written all over it i do not know what happened i mean some really good dogs like in the Gap* and *Free Solo* were nominated, so it's not like there's no taste on display here. But I feel like this was a shoe in. I'm shocked this wasn't nominated.
1: Yeah, and uh, an- another surprise is *Can uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me*?
5: Uh, yeah, can you forgive me? *Lena* three Oscar nominations: uh, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. And this movie, I think people saw Richard E. Grant getting Best Supporting Actor coming as like you know, uh, but McCarthy getting Best Actress and the Adapted Screenplay Oscar, you know. It's a really nice to see a movie that not a lot of people saw, but those people who did see it really connected to it. I'm I'm happy to see this here. I'm hoping it encourages more people to seek out one of the most underrated and underseen films of last year.
1: And Chris, I know you are upset over the omission, even in all the technical nods for Mission Impossible. Yeah, I'm
4: very surprised. I was, like I, you know, I was under no illusions that Mission Impossible would get you know like Best Picture or anything like that, but. From a technical standpoint, this movie is I don't want to say flawless, but the you know the the effects and the the you
1: know, the, the action
4: and the staging, the editing, yeah, all of it is so top notch and for it to be just like completely ignored is is very surprising to me. I thought at least it would get one technical nod. it didn't get anything at all. so.
1: I don't get it. One thing I wanted to talk about is uh AMC Theaters uh, and Regal Cinemas do this thing where they do their best picture showcase and they show all the movies that are nominated for best picture. And you know, we leading up to this, we were wondering what would happen if, you know, Roma is actually nominated, will this Netflix film actually screen at amc theaters and brad you wrote this up for the site like what what is going to happen
2: yeah so uh three at least three of the major movie theater chains amc theaters regal cinemas and cinemark uh who all have their own best picture showcases after the nominees are announced so that audiences can catch up on the nominees before the actual oscars broadcast uh they won't be including roma in their best picture showcases you'll be able to see all the other seven nominees but roma will not be included among them Um, Regal and Cinemark have been kind of shy about calling attention to this, but AMC theaters released a a short statement to deadline, uh, explaining why this is the case. And they said, quote, for more than a decade, movie lovers have enjoyed the AMC best picture showcase to catch up on the nominated films that played at AMC throughout the prior year. This year, Academy members nominated a film that was never licensed to AMC to play in our theaters. As such, it is not included in the AMC best picture showcase. So first of all, uh, (laughs) I, I love that they don't even mention the film by title as like, oh, we're not even going to talk about a Netflix movie. Like, um, but second of all, this feels like kind of a cop-out because the only reason that the movie isn't licensed to play in AMC theaters is because they didn't want to play with uh, Netflix and follow their rules to release it. And this is also a movie theater chain that has constantly clashed with Netflix about how much they're closing the window between theatrical release and making a movie available on streaming or home video. So this really is just a convenient opportunity for AMC to be like, well, you know what? Screw Netflix. We're not going to show their movies. Um, but at the same time, Roma's playing on Netflix, so you don't need to go pay it to see in theaters anyway. So just watch it, at, watch it at home, even though it's worth seeing on the big screen. You don't have to go out of your way to see it in theaters, and you don't have to go pay for a ticket to see the showcase to catch it in theaters. You can just catch any of the other movies that uh, that are part of the Best Picture Showcase instead.
1: Yeah, it's just a shame that the majority of people out there that aren't in major cities are never going to get a chance to see this film on the big screen. Also, uh, the Razzie nominations came out. I know uh, we all think those are important and uh, worth talking <laughs> about. Brad, you did a roundup for the site. Uh, what, what did the Razzie's get right and what did the Razzie's get wrong?
2: I mean, the Razzie's pretty much get everything wrong now just because it's just not even fun to like punch down. And knock all these movies out that we already know are bad. Um, And like they've they've kind of taken it to a new level this year, to a frustrating sense. Because obviously, movies like uh, Gotti, Holmes and Watson, Happy Time Murders, they all rounded up six nominations uh, in categories like Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Worst Actress, that kind of thing. But they also decided to take some shots at just the real world happenings by uh, giving Dinesh D'Souza's right-wing documentary Death of a Nation uh, nomination, and then also... They included the likes of Donald Trump and Kellyanne Conway and Melania Trump as quote-unquote actor nominees for their role as the subjects of Michael Moore's documentary Fahrenheit 119. And to me, that just seems like, you know, unnecessary. As much as I love any jabs taken at the Trump administration and any of the clowns who follow that orange circus around, uh, this just seems just like uh, – just unnecessary and no one really cares anymore from from what I can tell. So it's just – it is what it is. It's the Razzies doing what they do by trying to call attention to the worst movies. But anymore, it just feels lazy when they, they nominate all these movies and actors and actresses.
5: Yeah. Why Winchester? Why do they hate Winchester so much? It's not that bad. It's not that great. But like, it's such a weird thing to, in a year full of like terrible movies, to say here's a January horror movie, uh, that that wasn't as bad as most things released last year, and then like just give it six nominations. I I freaking hate these awards. They're so stupid.
1: Who even votes on the Razzies? Do we know? Idiots. Idiots? Okay.
2: <laughs> Actual raspberries. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's making more sense now. Uh, okay. Is there anything else that we left out of this this, uh, Oscar nomination discussion that any of you guys want to mention? Uh, Brad, I know you didn't really get a chance to talk because you didn't write up uh, this—you weren't part of this uh, biggest uh, Oscar snubs and surprises article. Yeah, I was.
2: I I was up this morning in the madness and I helped with the snubs list, but then I went back to bed because it was early in my the time zone that I'm in right now. Yeah. So is
1: there there anything you want to say about the nominations?
2: There's one thing that I want to say, and it's not – I talked to Jacob and the team about including this on the article, but we decided not to simply because it's not technically a snub. But I just want to put it out there just just, for, just because. Um, I think Jesse Plemons should have been nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Game Night because his performance is every bit as good comedically as Melissa McCarthy's was in Bridesmaids. And even though he wasn't ever really in the conversation, I feel like he would have been totally deserving of it if they would have made the push for him to get a nomination. Yeah. I also
3: wanted to give a shout out to eighth grade, which got surprisingly completely shut out of the Oscars. I thought at least that it would get a best original screenplay nod for director Bo Burnham and also his directorial debut. In other world, maybe he'd get a best director nod as well. Um and also Elsie Fisher, who was sort of in the conversation for best actress, um and would have been a very young, uh but very deserving uh, nomination.
1: Yeah, I'm, if I'm per- I rewrite the Okay, oh, go ahead, Peter. I was gonna say I'm personally very uh upset. That 8th uh, grade didn't get any love.
5: Oh, I want to use my universe-altering powers and erase Viggo Morton's Unibus Actor list and just toss in Nicholas Cage from Mandy to
1: spice things up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all those old academy voters, they're going to vote for that. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, before we go, I want to plug some stuff that's on the site because we got some good articles on the site right now. Uh, you know, last or earlier this week, did, when, when did we do this? Uh, no, it was last week that we did our most anticipated new television shows of 2019 writer's room discussion on the podcast. Well, the article is finally up on the site and we have a ranking. So. Uh, and somehow Star Wars is not not number one. I don't know. So go to the site and find out what is. Um, I will link in the show notes. Jacob, what do you want to plug?
5: I also want to add on what Peter said there. Um, the number one and two items on that list were tied, and it was broken through a very heated discussion in our slash film Slack. So as you read those, you can, if you want, you can imagine that one and two share the same spot. But I'm going to talk about um, we we ran a spoiler review for Glass by. Frequent film uh, contributor Josh Spiegel, and he essentially breaks down why the movie does not work and why the third act destroys the the legacy of Unbreakable in ways that he found like deeply irritating. And he's not even like a huge M Night fan. He he just uh, even a huge Unbreakable fan, and he was even he was like really deeply bothered by where that movie went. It's a very very good article, full of spoilers, but you should check it out after you see the movie.
2: Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, with Glass, as part of our recurring unpopular opinion feature uh, we have Britt hayes giving a passionate defense of glass calling it a bold and brilliant climax to m night Shyamalan's superhero trilogy it, it is interesting
1: because critics seem to dislike this movie and it seems like uh nor uh, general audiences seem to be liking it more i'm not gonna say loving it but it seemed to be a little bit more forgiving so uh it's it's interesting to read Britt's take on this hd what do you have to plug
3: um i'm plugging another josh spiegel article he's writing a lot for us this week in which he rounded out the 10 greatest m night Shyamalan scenes um some of which take place in not so beloved beloved movies like the happening um but uh still have a good award still deserve a place in this top 10 scenes by this director
1: and chris you have a feature on the site today right
4: That's right. Every two weeks, I run a Blu-ray review roundup where I just, you know, I I gather together all the the physical media releases uh, of the week or the week to follow, and I break down the special features. I break down, you know, the film itself. So please go give that a read. This week it features Suspiria, Bad Times of the El Royale, uh, the great new Arrow video release of Crimson Peak, um, Criterion's release of Alfred Hitchcock's notorious, and one of my favorite films, the nineteen nineties thriller Judgment Night, which is on the which is on Blu-ray for the very first time ever
1: right now. So you can find links to all those stories, including all our Oscar coverage on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at SlashFilm.com. Please head over to our iTunes page. uh, Give us five stars. Write us a sentence or two. Uh, Tell your friends. Spread the word. and We'll see you tomorrow.